The text for Pastor Piper's sermon this morning is found in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 16. It is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what person knows a man's thoughts except the spirit of the man which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who possess the Spirit. The unspiritual man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The manual of operation for the Christian wartime mentality is the Bible. And in that Bible, inspired and authorized by our commander-in-chief, there's enough truth to win over the enemy when he's confronted with it, to deprogram the old ways of thinking, to train those people in new strategies of righteousness, and to equip them with weapons to defeat Satan and to liberate the captives. It's a unique book. The Maoists had their little red book. The communists have their manifesto. The Muslims have their Koran. But the Bible contains the writings which alone reveal, according to this word that Corey just read, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, what God has planned or prepared for those who love him. The Christian manual of operation is unique because it reveals what verse 14 calls the things of the Spirit of God. Things that are from God that no man can think up on his own and things that are often very foreign to our way of thinking. And therein lies a problem that I want to talk about. A problem about the foreignness of what's there. Let's read verse 14 and concentrate here for a moment in 1 Corinthians 2. It says, The unspiritual man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's the Revised Standard Version. Let me read for you the New American Standard Bible. Many of you have that. It's more literal, and there are a couple of words I want to accent that are in there. The natural man, it says, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Now, the problem is this. What good is a manual of operations if ordinary people can't understand it? If the Bible reveals the things of God and natural man is not able to understand the things that are revealed there because they are spiritually discerned, 
then how will this book ever win over anybody? Now, that's the problem. And I'd like to start by trying to make clear the situation that we find in verse 14. And to do that, let's define two terms. One is natural man. What what is a natural man? And the other is the things of the spirit. What are those things that he can't understand? First, the natural man. That word, the Greek word behind this term natural man, is used one other time in the New Testament to refer to persons. It's Jude 19, and it says, it is these who set up divisions, worldly people. Now, that's the translation in Jude 19. Worldly people, and then here comes the key phrase, devoid of the Holy Spirit. So a natural man is a person who is devoid of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not dwell in the natural man. They are simply ordinary people in whom the Holy Spirit is not shaping the mind or shaping the heart. And the opposite of the natural man in verse 14 is the spiritual man. And the spiritual man is the person who has the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 12 to see a confirmation of this in 1 Corinthians 2. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. So verse 14 says the natural man can understand them, the spiritual man can, and verse 12 says the person who receives the Spirit grasps them. And therefore spiritual man and person with the Holy Spirit are the same, and that confirms the interpretation that the natural man is the person who does not have the Holy Spirit at all. And that's why they can't understand the things of the Spirit of God. So let's ask now what that is. What are the things of the Spirit of God? Well, the context here in the first two chapters of Corinthians are pretty clear about what that is, I think. Notice the word folly or the word foolishness here in verse 14. The reason that the natural man can't understand the things of the Spirit is because he regards them as foolishness. So, The best way to understand what the things of the Spirit are is to go back and find out what is foolish to these people. So back up with me into chapter 1 to verse 18 if you want to see this. Verse 18 of chapter 1 says, The word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. That's the natural man. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And the same thing, just drop down five verses to verse 23. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly or foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, what the natural man can't understand is the heart of the gospel, the word of the cross. That's what the things of the Spirit are, and that's what's folly. But we could make a mistake here. The word of the cross is not simply one sentence that says, Christ came and died on the cross for my sin. That is an essential, that's the foundational part of the word of the cross. But the word of the cross is more than that. The word of the cross, which is so foolish to the natural man, 
is the radical indictment of human pride implied in the cross. Look at verse 29 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This shows that the way of the cross is a way of salvation that has the purpose of getting rid of pride. That no human being might boast in the presence of God. The word of the cross is a message about my crucifixion, not just Christ's crucifixion. When I hear the word of cross preached to me, I know that it implies my death, the death of the natural man. And that is what is regarded as foolish. So, when it says in verse 14 that the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God, it means that the gospel of Christ and all of its devastating implications for human pride are foolishness to him. And he can't get a hold of them the way he should. A view of reality which aims to take away every ground of boasting from human beings and put that boasting in Christ crucified is simply ridiculous to the natural man. And he calls it foolishness. So I think we've got our two definitions now. The natural man is a person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit reigning within and shaping the mind according to the values of God. And the things of the Spirit of God are the word of the cross and the implications for the devastation of human pride. Now, let's see if we can take those two definitions and restate the problem in verse 14. And the reason I regard this as so important is because if we don't get the problem right in verse 14, we will misunderstand the work of the Holy Spirit to solve the problem. And we'll wind up praying for something from the Holy Spirit which we shouldn't pray for. Okay, you'll see how that works out, I think, as we get into verse 14 in detail. Notice it says, He, that is the natural man, is not able to understand them. That is, the things... Of the Spirit of God. Now, what does that mean? That's my main question. What does it mean that the natural man can't understand the things of the Spirit of God? I can think of two possibilities that better not be true. One is that the natural man does not have enough information, he doesn't have access to enough knowledge to make sense out of the gospel. And the other possibility is that his brain power is deficient. Some wrong in the nerves up here so that he doesn't have the natural capacity to construe the meaning of the words preached by the apostle. If either of those things is what is meant by his failure to understand or his inability to understand, we're in big trouble because there is a principle in the New Testament that says you can't hold a person accountable to believe something which they don't have access to. They don't have enough information to understand it. And I get that principle from Romans 1, verse 20, where Paul says, Ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible nature has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. Therefore, they are without excuse. 
And the implication is, if there weren't available in nature a clear witness to the glory of God, God on the judgment day could not hold men accountable for not having glorified him and thanked him. But he is going to hold men accountable for that because the knowledge is available. Now, if you apply that to verse 14, if we say the gospel is outside the reach of the natural man, he doesn't have access to an understanding of it out there. For example, if a person were to come in here and you'd never heard the gospel at all, and this person started preaching the gospel in Chinese. And at the end of his sermon, he gave an invitation in Chinese and said, come, receive the things of the Spirit of God. And you just sat there because you can't understand Chinese. It doesn't make any sense. You would not be the person of verse 14. That's what I'm arguing. The person in verse 14 is being held accountable for his failure to understand the things of the Spirit. And if there's something wrong with the brain waves, like an imbecile or like a little teeny child, you can't be held accountable either, I don't believe. Well, I don't think, therefore, that what is meant by the sentence, the natural man can't understand the things of the Spirit, I don't think it means those things are not accessible to him or that it means there's something wrong with his brain up here that he can't construe the meaning of Paul's sermons. Rather, there's a clue in the text that he can very well understand. And when he understands, he rejects it as foolish. The things of the Spirit are foolishness to the natural man, not because when he hears them, he can't understand their meaning and make sense out of them, but because he can very well make sense out of them and he doesn't like what he hears. It is foolish to him and he rejects it. So the problem in verse 14 here is not a lack of clear speech on Paul's part and it's not a lack of intellectual power on the natural man's part. The speech is clear, the brain is working, and the message is understood, and it is rejected as foolishness. That's the problem in verse 14. And another piece of evidence for that is at the end of the verse, the phrase, these things are spiritually discerned. Now, here's the way that's a piece of evidence. That word discerned there... I wish were translated the same way the Greek word is translated in verse 15. The NASB, the New American Standard Bible, is great here. It's a good study Bible. Because if you'll notice in your New American Standard, the same word is used in verse 14 and 15. It goes like this in the New American Standard. He cannot understand, that is, the things of the Spirit, because they are spiritually appraised but he who is spiritual appraises all things yet he himself is appraised by no man the King James Version the New International Version and the Revised Standard Version do not help us 
by translating the word discern in verse 14 and judge in verse 15. If they had stuck with judge in both verses, it would have been okay. The word is an assessing word, an appraising word, a judging word, not an intellectual word. And the word discernment is ambiguous on that score. So what we need to see here is that Paul is saying the reason these natural people can't understand the things of the Spirit is because their judging faculty is sick. Their appraising faculty is depraved. They can understand things. They can repeat arguments. They can construe logic. But when they do, they appraise it as worthless. And that's the problem in verse 14, not the problem of understandability. There's a big difference between saying that uh, they don't understand because it's foolish to them and they don't understand because it's gibberish to them. Foolish is an assessment you put upon something that you understand and then say, it's ridiculous, I'm not going to do it. Gibberish is a word you ascribe to something you can't make heads or tail out of, like Chinese speaking if you can't speak Chinese. And the problem then in verse 14 is not that Paul speaks gibberish or they hear gibberish, but that they hear, they understand the word of the cross and it is threatening to their pride and they don't like it and protect themselves from it by saying foolish. That's the problem in verse 14. It is a values problem, not a intellectual problem. Now, these people can understand and comment on the meaning well enough, but they cast it out as rubbish. What this text teaches then, in summary, is that every one of us, in our natural state, apart from the Holy Spirit, recoil from the truth of the word of the cross. It is distasteful to us. We do not like it. The truth of the Bible, the word of the cross, is repulsive. We hear it, the call of the gospel, and then we defend ourselves against it by saying, that's foolish. Now, why? Why does the natural man do that? Why do we call it foolish? Well, the same reason you call things foolish. You call something foolish when it is a piece of advice for you to give up something you cherish more than the advice. So if somebody says to me, uh, my advice to you is to jump off the bridge. You say, that's foolish. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I value my life more than I value your advice. Or if somebody says to me, I don't think you should spank your sons when they disobey. I would say, that's foolish. And the reason I say that is because I value the wisdom of the book of Proverbs more than your advice. I put the word foolish on your advice. And when you go to a natural man and say to him, follow the crucified Christ. He says, that's foolish. Why? Because he values his self-determination, his self-exaltation, and all the pride and ego that goes with not having himself crucified with Christ. And therefore, he defends himself against that devastating message with the word foolish. 
If you read the first four chapters of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, what you'll find is that the point of these four chapters is partly negative, partly positive. And the negative point of those chapters is this, to knock out every prop of pride from under the human heart. And the positive is to put all that pride in Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 1, verse 27. Let me show you one place where Paul does this in a concentrated form. Verse 27 of chapter 1, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. There goes one prop, the prop of wisdom. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. There goes another prop, the prop of strength. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. There goes all the other props. And where do you fall? Verse 31. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you want to be proud, there is one thing that God will let you be proud of. Christ and the word of the cross. But in order to be proud of that, all the props have to go. And that's what these chapters are written to do. Knock the props, one after the other, out from under the human heart so it has nothing in itself to lean on and must fall into the lap of the loving Savior. Why then doesn't the natural man understand the value of the things of the Spirit? Because he values so highly the praise of men, he values the exhilaration that comes from thinking that he relies on himself, in all his achievements. He values his autonomy and pulling his own strings. He values the love of his esteem that he can get through the use of his intelligence and skill and talent and strength. And the suggestion that he's got to leave all that on the bridge and jump off into the arms of Jesus is foolish to him. Ridiculous. Jesus said something that is so devastating. Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 5:44, "How can you believe when you seek glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from God?" In other words, you can't. You cannot trust Christ savingly while your heart is in love with the glory of men. You will always view faith in Christ as foolish while your priorities are skewed like that. What hope then is there for the natural man? How can Christ crucified become a value for anybody if that's the case? And verse 14 at the end says, they are spiritually appraised. The spiritual person is the person with the Spirit, the person in whom the Holy Spirit is revolutionizing your values. And you can know you've got the Holy Spirit when you begin to be drawn to things of the Spirit you once were repulsed by. Verse 12, you remember, says, We have received the Spirit which is from God that we might know, we might insert in there, know the value of the things given to us by God. When the Spirit takes over in your life, you begin to appraise things with the mind of God. Christ. The Spirit's fundamental and primary work in the life of the natural man is first to shatter pride 
so that he's enabled to see his desperate need of the gospel. Then the gospel shines with glorious beauty. Christ becomes attractive and never again will he call it foolishness because he has seen things now the way they are. Verses 15 and 16, just briefly, are puzzling to us. Let me try to sum up for you what these two verses mean and then we'll be done. Verse 15, when it says, the spiritual man judges all things. If you take the word appraise and view it in its context, what it means, I think, is the spiritual man is now in a position to put right values on things. And then the other half of the verse, the negative half, is that he is appraised by no man. Now, that can't mean absolutely no man because it just said spiritual men appraise all things. And so he can be judged and appraised by spiritual men. What it means then is that no natural man appraises spiritual men correctly. So when a natural man looks on a spiritual person and sees that person making choices, he can't understand what that person is doing. He, he can't form right judgments about the value of his choices. And so you should not let yourself be called into question by people who can only judge by the natural way of judging. Then verse 16 gives reasons for why that's so. It says that uh, who's known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? In other words, no natural person is in a position to understand the mind of God. So when that person looks upon you and you have the mind of Christ, he's going to form wrong judgments about you. And that's what the latter half of the verse says. We have the mind of Christ. That is, the Holy Spirit has been given to us, shaping our way of valuing into the mind of Christ so that then we form right judgments about things. We have the mind of Christ. So let's go back and sum up by ending up where we began. I said that the manual of operation for the Christian wartime mentality is the Bible. And that this Bible has enough glorious truth in it to bring people over from the other side and to win them, to reprogram their way of thinking and to train them in strategies of righteousness and to liberate the captives and conquer Satan. And then we saw that the problem is that we have an aversion to this truth that will enable all that to happen. There's something inside the natural man that just hates that news because it is so humbling. And then the solution is given that the spiritual man appraises things rightly. So you need to become a spiritual person. And that means receive the Holy Spirit into your life and let the Holy Spirit begin to retool your way of valuing things so that when you hear the gospel and the things of the Spirit in the manual of operation, you say, that's good. That's better than what I read in Time magazine. That's better than the newspaper. That's better than the TV. That's better than anything else. So that the work of the Spirit, and here's the mistake I wanted to warn us against. The work of the Spirit in reading the Bible is not to short-circuit the discipline of study. The Holy Spirit inspired this book. He does not short-circuit the study of it. Instead, we shouldn't pray, Oh Lord, I'm about to read this Bible. Now, would you tell me what it means? And wait. Read it and then wait. And you get impression. And you tell somebody... Here's what the text means. They say, why? And you say, Holy Spirit told me so. That's bad. Bad procedure. That's short-circuiting the process of reading that God has ordained for the understanding of this Word. Instead, we ought to pray like this. Lord, thank You for this Word revealed in this Scripture. And I'm about to study it. Grant me the motive. Grant me the discipline. And above all, conquer the pride of my heart 
so that when I hear a word from you about the cross, I embrace it instead of rejecting it and calling it foolishness. That's the primary need as we go to the Bible. The discipline to study and the humility to accept what's here. We ought to say this in conclusion as we read the Bible. Far be it from me to glory in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I have been crucified to the world. If our pride is not crucified when we read the Bible, here's what will happen. The Bible will become a wax nose. And you will either see it for what it is and call it foolish or your desires not to see it for what it is will be so great you will just take that wax nose and twist it until it looks just the way you want it to look and then it won't have to call into question anything you do at all. And in either case, the word of the commander is not heard. The strategy of righteousness in the world languishes and the enemy prospers. Let's pray. Almighty God, that negative note is not why you reveal this to us. You have revealed this word to us in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that we might avail ourselves of the Holy Spirit, become spiritual people, be humbled before you in the word of the cross, Discipline ourselves to study by your encouragement and be shaped and changed by this word. Let it happen for this people. Oh, for Bethlehem to be a people who are radically shaped by the word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for the promise that we can have the mind of Christ in Jesus' name.